0: Abe here, and I wanted to let you know that if you're able, you can upgrade your Small Beans skill over at patreon.com slash small beans. Here's why you should do that. If you pledge five measly beans a month, you get access to about half our podcasts that you don't get if you're just listening to the free feed. Shows include Star Trek The Next Futurama, Spielboys, like Razor Blade Pie, and bonus episodes of I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours. Not to mention bonus content, including info and updates on the movie we're making. pop Hey, where's all the reasons to not subscribe to Patreon? I can't find them. Anyway, back to the show.
1: I don't want to bone anymore, I don't want to stay, don't want to have to dig love my hand, just to live one more day, oh, games Gerald plays, he cuffs you, then he leaves you, then Cujo comes, and he takes a bite, if I was the moonlight man, would you believe it, games Gerald plays, in the middle of the night, Ooh. do you know the Parsons?
0: No, I don't know anything. What you, you don't know did, what that I song is, it. really? No, it's one, but I I mean, really? It's what I really enjoyed. It hit. It was a big hit at the time.
1: I sang it loud enough for Jen to get mad and slam the door. Well, hey, so I, I gave it my it all because you were so into it, and I love that games people play. Alan Parsons Project.
0: You don't know Alan Parsons Project, or not? Do you, to l- you, you, do I know do. of them? Yes, I just okay. not to the point okay. that you do. You okay. know, we can't know all things. Okay. all All people can't know all things,
1: but we can know everything about Stephen King things. Stephen yeah? King did that things. Get us in? And Welcome. we're in. Welcome, Kings of King. That's what this is. We that- cover the adapted film and television works. I think we did TV. Yeah, we've done TV once or twice. We done TV stuff based on stuff Stephen King wrote. Uh, if you're familiar with our other Deep Dive series, Spielboys, the Coen Brothers, Brothers, Anderson, stuff like that. It's like that. I'm Michael.
0: I'm Abe. Yeah. Uh, you got and, all the info.
1: Well, other than that, it's 2017's Gerald's Game, and I kind of spoiled the plot in that little song. But but because we have, you know, an hour to fill here, I think we should also synopsize this sucker in a little more detail and we can see that detail because it the lensing effect of the glass is making it look bigger because we're under the dome. Uh, Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome?
0: You think we might be stuck in here a while?
1: Uh, first segment, Under the Dome. This is where we just explain what it's about. If you ain't seen Gerald's game, but spoiler this time for me, I guess I would stop and watch it if you haven't seen it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm comfortable with that as as the <laughs> prelude to my opinions on this movie. But uh, I'll start the synopsis. It's pretty straightforward. We covered Cujo recently. Similarly spare, hence my Cujo reference in the song. In terms of like moving parts and elements, it is a what if you got handcuffed to the bed in the wilderness alone. What would you do scenario? Almost like 127 <laughs> hours, but with a little more of a King undertone as yeah. highlighted in this film through the Moonlight Man.
0: As we know, Stephen King's stories are simple. The one adjustment I would give to this, the why it's not Cujo and why it's not like an evil car that goes on a murder rampage um because they do a lot of setup to make you feel for the characters this one does a, formally different you're thrown into it immediately and yes. then you learn about the characters through hallucination and flashbacks but
1: i would still call it a bottle episode and yeah you know say that the fun and games portion at least is you're stuck what would you do what would happen how would you get water how would you get food what what is the stuff you didn't anticipate that would go wrong maybe the moonlight man um we'll get into it but, uh, yeah, basically, it starts Abe's right in Meteor Res, because we're going to learn about him later, with uh, husband and wife, Gerald and... Jesse. Jesse, thank you. She's Everything's through her POV, so we rarely mention her name, but thank you. Um, mm. They've come ostensibly to... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to stop, but I just have to say something. This I do think he does complex (laughs) because of Dark Tower and things like the lore in Dr. Sleep. I feel like he has two buckets, one where he goes crazy on lore and then one where he keeps it real elegant. So we're in the elegant bucket is all I was trying to say. Anyway, they're trying to reintroduce the spark to their relationship, but you immediately, immediately get the impression that He's pushing for that more than she is, and he's a little sardonic and into kinkier stuff than she is, which is okay if you know how to navigate that conversation, but uh, he doesn't. He's pushy about it, and we immediately start to get, like, creep vibes, right, even though he's her husband. Um, He talks her into putting handcuffs on and cuffing her to the bed, and she's willing to go down that road, but then he starts, is it Call Me Daddy? No, it's rape fantasy. That's right, rape fantasy. It's a
0: stranger rape fantasy. Yeah, he and says,
1: treat me like a stranger and act like you don't want it. And she's like, I don't want it. Wife to husband, please stop. I don't want to do this sexual encounter. And, of course, he disingenuously is like, yeah, that's right. That's good. You don't want it. And she's like, no, motherfucker. And she bites him or kicks him or something. And they get into a big, you know, potentially this is the end of road for a marriage fight about like, Jesus Christ, it was just a joke, or like, you're such a prude, I'm just, at least I'm trying to bring romance, and she's like, no, you were about to pretend to rape your wife, this is not what we talked about, we're, you know, maybe mm. we're too different to reconcile this, oh fuck, maybe this, so we're contemplating divorce, or even I think the danger is presented in the back of my your mind, like, is he gonna truly force it on her? Because then he starts getting frisky again, and she's like, "No, stop! No, stop!" And uh, you kind of see in his eyes that he's like, "Well, if we're getting divorced, I may as well." Right? But, you know, like he's not a good dude. Anyway, he dies of a
0: massive heart attack, um, <laughs> right and on Carla, on top Cucino. of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, hey, yeah, you take the next leg there's a few things that happened before what you were talking about. One is that they saw a dog on the way in a mangy dog picking out a dead possum. uh, And they kind of discuss, they're like, man, that thing must be hungry. And, and you know, Jesse's instinct is to feed the animal. Um, And she even tries to feed some like the Kobe beef that he's preparing for their dinner. And Gerald, uh, uh, Gerald's like a pretty, like, why would you do that to a mangy stray? Like, why would you like, there's he has a setup in his mind of exactly what people what justice is, what people deserve. And he gets to dictate it. And that becomes important later because of the nuances of like why they're unhappy. Um, so the dog comes in after, you know, Gerald fucking dies. And uh, I think this is the stuff that Flanagan is really good at because like she calls out for her friends and we like if you dissect the sequence of like how it's constructed, of like, all right, this is this is just the the approach. This is her first glimpse of hope, perhaps. And then he immediately deflates it with like the soft pitter patter of the dog's feet. And she instantly realizes oh, this is an animal I'm dealing with. And then the animal slowly peeks in in a like haunting, but like casual way that I think is really evocative. Jesse tries to scare it away, but ultimately it's a hungry mangy dog. It starts to feast on Gerald's arm. And suddenly Gerald arises and starts to blame her. You had to feed that dog, didn't you? But she realizes she's hallucinating. He's still on the ground. And in her mind, uh, Gerald is a petty and vindictive man and blames her for being herself and kind, basically. And uh, there's a few quotes that are tossed around that are pretty brutal. Like, at one point, maybe at a party, Gerald, she overheard Gerald talking to one of his friends, and he called her a life support system for a cunt. Something... You know, she just overheard and she this is what's crazy to me, because that's like the reddest of flags. Uh, and it reminds me of like if you've read like Dave Eggers stuff, you know, questions like, do you think I said that because that's who I am deep down or it's just something I was, was I passing on a dirty joke or, in a moment yeah. because I wanted to fit? or Maybe in. I yeah. thought
1: the other guys like that and I'm just trying to look good. Or is that really what I think and I present a different face to you? Right, which
0: we've all done, but it is uh, evocative of showing... Like, it really does show that she's been kind of trained to give the benefit of the doubt to these men um, who kind of run her lives, as we're going to learn more about her father. Um, But then uh, what basically happens is she shifts more into... And I love this, too. This feels very, like... I mean, we talked about recently on frame rate another one of our shows. We talked about the movie Sunshine um, by Danny Boyle, and it's just like I love it when like a character is in a dire strait and they just go to work logically, and it shifts more into her talking out her thoughts and less her like insecurities, and she helps her own self and Gerald the the fictional Gerald the apparition realize all right this is the situation you're in and we need and you will die and you need to have a plan you need to think through the details um we get another misdirect where she breaks free only to look back at the bed and see herself still captive so as she's kind of losing her mind she speaks to gerald and another freed version of herself And she watches like the last rays of sunlight disappear from the room's walls, which I thought was a nice touch uh, to mark the beginning of the first night. Um, Then we have a sequence where uh, we kind of have a callback to the fact that he's been he uh, Gerald was taking Viagra for years and they never even talked about it. He tried to hide it from her and Gerald and Jesse only once really talked about, Well, oh, they have this conversation about this conversation, She's like, remember that one time I got hard? And she's like, yeah, I remember the one time you're referring to because you're in my brain. Uh, and it's the moment he realized he had that rape fantasy and he was choking Jesse during sex. And in her, her opinion on it was that she just kind of took it as a dutiful wife. And but she did ask herself in that moment, like, who the fuck did I marry? Um, so she identifies first that she needs water and there's a glass above the bedboard on the shelf that she navigates down, but there's a wonderful moment where she realizes she can't bring the cups to her lips. So she puts it back. Uh, it's like a great little back and forth of like, you do, did all this work. And then you realize, oh fuck, I can't do this. I have to find another solution. And she has to undo everything she did. She starts to roll up what I believe is like a luggage tag to make a straw. And, and then that's boom. a ticket
1: from her brand new slip, which is a great postcard because when they right. show her putting on the sexy negligee, she pulls a tag off immediately indicating she doesn't normally do this. She's never, this is new. She hasn't done right. this before.
0: And in terms of first image, well, the first thing that we saw in the movie was the top shout, top down shot of the bed as clothes are kind of being set out and bags are being packed. And I think with throughout Jesse's life, I think that we're going to find out later there's a subtle importance. We'll talk about in a different section about the ritual of clothing and packing and stuff like this. I think there's something to be said about that, but moving right along, she takes that tag, makes a straw, uh, and she saves some for later. I love that too. It's just like, It's one of the cooler things with the, you know, you have these apparitions that she's very aware that these are in her brain and she's talking to herself, but she's like, we get it as a kind of commentary. It's like, don't drink too much, you know, like you need to say that we have like three days I think is how long can we remember is that is that true she like asks herself how many days a human can survive without water and this is about 35 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. I think they're killing it at this point then that night some real shit happens a very fundamental terrifying event for I think all humans go through or at least I've had this moment uh where home from Star Trek the next generation
1: comes in and looks at you
0: Yeah, I was going to say Lurch from Adam's family, but yeah, same guy. Uh, And he's in a dark corner and she thinks the dark is like playing at shapes in her brain. But she's but he steps forward and shows her like his super cool bag of bones. uh, And she feels that, you know what, this is me probably hallucinating because he's got a like distorted, you know, malformed face. And this is and he's got a bag of bones. He must be like death or something. Um, When he vanishes... Gerald hints that, and I love this kind of stuff where it's like your brain is playing tricks on you. Gerald, uh, you know, the apparition is like, maybe he's not gone. Maybe he's under the bed. And then, you know, a hand comes out of the bed and it's, again, it's Gerald, uh, the version of, you know, so her brain is just thinking of all the worst scenarios and we actually see it right in front of us. I thought it was really evocative filmmaking in that regard. Mm Um, Just how humans convince themselves of fantastical things. Anyway,
1: her dad jerks off on her back. No, wait, we're almost there. (laughs) Um, There's a sad piano flashback where we learn her abuse, her, her foundational abuse. Oh, no, I hopped in at the wrong point. Which is that her dad jerked off on her back at the park while there was a perfect eclipse of the sun. And then he gaslit her into pretending it never happened, as is so often the case with abuse of that nature. Uh... Kind of reminded me of a film that A worked on, Illusion in Red and White, about the dude gaslighting his kids into being like, I didn't murder your mom. Um, but he's just like, none of that happened. I didn't touch you. You have to do that for the rest of your life or it's going to be a problem, right? So we have this recurring motif of she keeps secrets for men. She doesn't confront men about the sexual things that they do wrong. It makes her feel, uh, you know, an ingrained sense of self-loathing and failure and she's wrestling that as she literally fights for survival from just the elements the elements sorry uh gerald vision gerald uh well wait i'm sorry i forgot that she wakes up to the a creepy vision of a guy licking her feet and then it's just the dog uh i think we have a thing with that right now because have you seen talk to me yet uh no there's a very notable sucking on the toes scene in that, like a zombie sucking on your toes. But anyway, Ger- Gerald's back. He says, uh, you know, that guy's real. He wasn't a vision. He's going to come and take your bones and your wedding ring. That's what he does. He's like a killer who claims bones. And she's like, but you're not real. So why would I believe you? All of this is my brain spiraling and spiraling. And yet I still have to survive. Um she re- she flashes back again that's right we get a little arc in the past she relives the night that she got so upset about the abuse and the inability to like tell her mom or tell any authority figure that she crushed a glass in her hand and uh like cut her hand up and her brain vision of her i believe is like why would you think of that why are you thinking of that you know Uh, If you've seen Black Phone, it's kind of that vibe recently, uh, where they're trying to help her. Some are trying to help her. Some are her inner abuser. You know, if you're familiar with Bart's work, some are inner critics, some are cheerleaders. But one is like, that's a clue. That's a clue. And she realizes something that I wish she didn't realize, (laughs) which is that um, leads to, I think, the most notable scene for most folks. She realizes if she just like cuts up her wrist skin and... (laughs) turns her hand inside out, <laughs> she can get out of the handcuff, which I guess, I mean, that's really what 127 hours is about, right? Like it's when really it comes gnarly. down to it, what are you going to do? You got to cut the thing off that's caught. That's what foxes and bear traps
0: yeah, I, lo- I Yeah, I had to look away a little bit. Me too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So notoriously gory. D gloves her own hand, basically turns it inside out and like has to pull through the bone to get the final thing out. And her hand is like ruined. Right. Um, But she does escape. Uh, She gets her cell phone, but it's dead. She picks up the handcuff key with her ruined hand because her other hand is still in the cuff, which I love. That reminded me of like Blue Ruin, where you're like, that's such a simple problem that sucks so hard. You're like, well, I still got to use this hand. The fucked hand I gotta use it right now Um, So that probably hurt Uh, And then Oh no I'm lost Do you want to take us to the end?
0: Uh, Yeah so she gets out of the house Drinks some water Wraps her hand up with uh, some pads Passes out She wakes up Dogs biting her She looks at her half eaten husband And we get another visit from the moonlight man That's right She gives him uh, Her wedding ring For his bag of bones And gets in the car And drives away Is in and out of consciousness, sees visions of the Moonlight Man in the backseat, says goodbye to Gerald, thinks she's back on the day of the eclipse uh, where she she was abused, Uh, and it all culminates in her crashing her car. Neighbors find her and save her. 17 months, or not 17 months later, uh, a few months later, Jessie writes to her 12-year-old self a letter, like a diary. Um, She basically used Gerald's life insurance to build a foundation for victims of sexual abuse. And how she kind of still sees at times at night uh, the Moonlight Man uh, as a figment of her imagination as Very part of the trauma. Ending, yeah, yeah. And I think most importantly, how she feigned amnesia to avoid painful questions about the two-day period where she was stuck in the bed. Uh, she didn't tell the press exactly what happened. She just said, "I don't right. remember it."
1: But the Moonlight Man is now definitively real. And like then the she world. finds out yeah. six
0: months later that some dude in the area was breaking into cemeteries and taking bones and body parts <laughs> and trinkets. And then
1: ultimately escalated to killing and eating people, stuff like that.
0: And having sex with the dead, uh, notably male Uh, corpses. Um, (laughs) I guess he was uh, there to bone Gerald while she slept. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what the implication and he was, uh, so she, and she's like, I guess I was lucky. He didn't want me. Uh, But it turns out he, yeah, he was real. He had a pituitary like imbalance that misshapens his face. And it's clear the moonlight man was very much real. And she reflects all that in her kind of illusions. Uh, She knows now that the dog, the man, the cuffs, and the eclipse were all real events from her past and, uh, you know, more recently. Uh, and so she kind of frees herself of denial of the real events. And the final scene is she goes to the trial of the Moonlight Man, who has been caught, as you mentioned. And she just approaches him in open court. And the film kind of cuts together these terrible men in her life as it edits. You know, like at first you see Lurch and then you see, you know, uh, Brian Greenwood. And then, you, you know, Gerald, you see Henry then you see Thomas. Dad, Bad Dad. Yeah, yeah. Bad Dad. And she, uh, she just, she just looks him straight in the eye and says, "You're so much smaller than I remember." And having triumphed over denial Ends in support of these joke. lies, yeah.
1: Can you She it? walks
0: down the street towards a new eclipse, and they all <laughs> clapped. First, we have to
1: hop over the thing, right? We got to do the, we got to do the crew. Shall
0: we hop over the thing then?
1: Well, I anticipate. I mean, you said before we rolled that it would be a light one, and it's light for me. But let's do it. Let's do our due diligence. Traipses through the boneyard as the Game Flea guys say in screenplay, and meet the skeleton crew.
0: Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the doors! Woo!
1: This is where we talk about the people that made the movie. Any real behind-the-scenes information, uh, I will say, Abe, this had some of the least interesting trivia or facts about it ever. I think yeah. because Flanagan, the director and writer, I believe, uh, really knows his shit, and This movie was obviously, like movies like this, like uh, Phone Booth, if you will, part of the appeal is you build this on a soundstage and you have full total control of the temperature, of the lighting, and it's not, right, you're not fighting the elements, ironically, her whole challenge is avoided, and that means that the shoot probably went really smoothly and was fun and nice. So there's not like a bunch of drama or anything, but I will say uh, if you don't know Mike Flanagan, he's at this point considered um, like a guaranteed banger or like a workhorse in the horror genre of like good Mm -hmm. horror. He did Hush, Oculus, Midnight Mass for Netflix. Um, I guess he and King wrote along with Jeff Howard. The only thing I could find notably from him was also Oculus with Flanagan. Uh, what else? What do you want to say about the behind the scenes if anything? This is
0: clearly Flanagan's audition for Dr. Sleep. Like it feels like,
1: ah, the small budget, and then we'll give you the real money. Sure. Yeah
0: and he really gets the psychology uh, uh, and the horror that like, King, I think, is into. I think they're a match made in heaven, honestly. Like one of those late game collaborations that it's just like, yep, you were born for each other. Kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese or something like that. Because you can see it in his TV show, too. Haunting at Hill House, Midnight Mass, as you mentioned. All oh, that the stuff. haunting
1: ones. That's true, too, yeah.
0: I think his power is definitely in his editing. Uh, I think that he knows how to construct a suspenseful moment better than most horror directors working right now period um and he does it usually in a meat and potatoes thriller way not a jump scare way as much yeah exactly exactly i think uh, he's more in the you know jordan peele camp um in that regard uh even though jordan peele does rely a little bit more on like Haunting images and jump scares. Uh, there are still that in Flanagan's work, sure. you know, for some for no reason other than just to scare yeah. you or uh, make he, uh, make
1: you know it's horror. It's in the genre that you think it is. You know,
0: <laughs> he turns it up to eleven. Like we see the we see the Moonlight Man, and then later on we see him. Now he has red eyes for some reason. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, it's yeah, scarier. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's well, we're it's all in our imagination. Like so do whatever you want in that. Do whatever period, you want yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the one thing that I did know is that the collaboration is still ongoing and obviously that we're all still on strike as the recording of this episode in 2023. But the um, Dark Tower series seems to be going forward and it's going to be done uh, completely by Flanagan. So Stephen oh, King whoa. has gotten his blessing.
1: <gasps> I'm learning this in real time and I got to say, I'm about to in it start to pick apart this movie because there's some stuff I really don't like about it. Mm -hmm. But given Flanagan's average quality level, I also thought Midnight Mass was boring. Maybe I'm the only one. But like, he's good. You know what I mean? I'm not losing my shit like some are, but he's good. And I just want someone good to do a Dark Tower that's not truncated into a sing- you know, into two hours. So that's very exciting. Yeah, Dark Tower um,
0: limited series sounds that's like a great dope. idea.
1: But speaking of recurring cast and crew, like you said, he does seem to accrue people and stick with him. Henry Thomas, the Molester Dad, is also the ghost of Jack Nicholson in Doctor Sleep. And I think you can see it. you're like, oh yeah, he is Nicholson-y. Yeah. Um, Let's see We mentioned Bruce Greenwood He's a that guy For a lot of people You definitely recognize his face
0: Carla Gugino If you just recognize his face He was in Star Trek And iRobot Go ahead And yeah Carla uh, Gugino Is also in Haunting uh, Shows Mm. Uh, And she This 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 is like a vehicle For her I mean it's like You mentioned like Phone Booth Or Castaway Or something like that She really brings it Like this is her show yeah, um, so this is an
1: actor's dream, I bet, because I it's bet. get in comfortable clothing, lay in this bed, and act super compelling scenes while you just lay in bed. Then go chill, get some lunch, come back, act your heart out, do your killer monologue. It's all about you, baby. You are the show. And at the end, you're a hero, and you triumph. Like What try. a joy yeah. to
0: work on as an actor, for real. Comfort is huge. Uh, I feel like we should get into the nitty-gritty of like more of okay. the themes and uh, the scene work and stuff.
1: Then I just want to note, because then we'll stop talking about Dark Tower, that they did throw in a Dark Tower reference. He right. says all things serve the beam. Uh, <laughs> Which is out I of think place. that's Weird. pretty dumb in that I'm all i I'm okay with meta references and shit, but there's nothing else like that in the whole movie. Other than the like, book she throws says Midnight Mass on it, and then he made that show. But like don't do that. And then do nothing so else weird. about it. Don't just I have mean, him say all oh, serves the beam. That's not what he's, he's in her head. She doesn't know about the beam. Like what the <laughs> fuck is the beam? I didn't know what the beam is. And the way he
0: says it, it's like in all things return to the beam. It just made, just made just it like, seem like
1: something would happen with it. And if you like know the you're reference, you're like nothing will, but yeah.
0: It makes a lot more sense when he's like when th- there's another reference that he makes that is a lot cleaner, I would say, from a writing perspective. He where says, he just I call says, like,
1: this my dark tower. Oh,
0: <laughs> where he, he like alludes to he's like and now we have fucking like Cujo over there. Right. Uh, sure. Which is like that's because it's a classic reference to a thing that exists. Well, and we're about to see a
1: dog come in and be a problem for her. So, yeah, right. let's talk about that. It's perfect. In the next segment where we get to say whatever we want. It.
0: Bill, if you'll come with me,
1: you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. And this is it. Uh, yeah, so I do, obviously intentional, but I got to say, I think, uh, and we discuss on the Cujo episode how he has said that he wrote most of Cujo really drunk to blackout drunk only has fuzzy memories of riding it. And I don't think that's true of Gerald's game, but I didn't look into if he was snow blind or drunk or what track he was on. Sometimes he's sober. It's hard to know with him. Um, Sometimes he's eating a sandwich, watching guys do BMX tricks. But uh, (laughs) my point is, I think this in terms of the conception of the premise and the payoff off banking off that premise Kicks Cujo's ass. Like, the premise is so much more clever and hooky. I don't know. I like this. I think this nails Ann Flanagan. Uh, I'm going to say my good thing first. And I want to know if you agree or disagree. Nails setup. Everything about the setup is what screenwriters and directors love. It's efficient. It's postcards. If you sit and unpack them, there's stuff to unpack that you learn. Like the tag, right? You could watch that and go, yeah, she's ripping her tag off because she's ripping it because it's a dress. And later it has Mm -hmm. to set it up because she uses it as a straw. Yeah, but if you think about it. It also lets you know that she hasn't done this sort of thing before. And there's a dozen things like that. We're like, if you think about it, that speaks to how he acts around her, that he put the Viagra bottle out and she looks at it and he Greeks it away or whatever. Oh, now we know that. Like super tight, good setup, 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 setup. Really, really impressive act one to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's, I wrote that in my notes as well. I mean, it's, it's all around his work. He, he Flanagan does that all a lot. And I think it's the suspense building that he's really good at. He knows what parts are important and when to deploy them. I love also that he takes seemingly small details and makes them like a meal out of them. You know, like, because you can make anything important. Like if someone is just trying to get a glass of water, it seems like a mundane thing. But he really makes it, he really knows mm-hmm. how to shoot it so that like, okay, this water is everything, and at any point, this water is going to fall. Um, I also love like her hands cramping up, and she has to like kind of work through it by getting the circulation Bicycle going. Her legs, so they're on all that and stuff. stuff yeah. is like that's how you do build setup. It's like you 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 attach the emotion to like a, a small tiny goal, and every time he approaches goal first, and so that's why the first act rules because mm-hmm. it's just like her solving problems. And- That's
1: why I love movies like that. I mentioned Blue Ruin. If you guys haven't seen it, I'm thinking of the fact that the guy needs a gun so he can commit revenge and he steals a gun from a guy with like Trump flags on his truck. And he's like, I bet he has a gun and he's right. But then he can't open the gun lock and he tries to break it with a rock and it breaks the gun as it would, because that's why it's a gun lock. And he just doesn't have a gun. So it's like, I think there's something so thrilling Vince Gilligan is notable for this too on Breaking Bad, about thinking through something, imagining a process or scene, and really imagining it with such fidelity that you note things that other people don't note or take for granted. Because that's your job Mm. as an artist, right? Is to bring us to that place where we're looking at something with new eyes, we're not taking it for granted, we're wrapped and we're focused and enthralled by it, and the world is like that. Like, you could be enthralled by anything, but to force you to be (laughs) enthralled by something in a movie... I think it's so compelling. Like the example that I've heard from philosophers or whatever before is you ask people like, how do you, what's the first thing you do when you're going to turn left on a bicycle? And most people go like, turn the handles left. And actually next time you're riding a bike or whatever, no, you turn the handles right a bit, then left. That's like how your the it's forces work and you yeah. need to do that. But your body does it without thinking and you've done it dozens of times. So you stop thinking about it. Uh, That's those little unthought of points are where thriller thrives because it's like she need, like Abe said, she just needs a glass of water. And then it's like she wakes up in horrible pain and you're like, why? Mm. And you're like, her legs are atrophied. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Man, if I was in that scenario, that would have fucked me. Like, I didn't even think of that. You know, that's what you want in a thriller situation for sure.
0: Yeah. And I'd even double down that he's so effective at it that uh sometimes and i've noticed this in a lot of his shows as well because you get into like the episodes five through eight kind of thing of a 10 episode series uh is that sometimes his act two and beginning of three uh basically after the midpoint into the um into the climax those get Flanagan gets boring and I think Too much it's metal, because dude. of what you're yep. talking about. He does such a good job of assembling the elements at the beginning that he kind of just has only to repeat himself out loud to set up the climax. Think about this movie, how there's 15 minutes before our, like she actually degloves her hand or whatever, mm. where it's just flashbacks of stuff we've already seen in the first like 45 minutes of the movie. Yeah, he dad kept the lie up. Gerald was yeah. a manifestation of that shame. It wasn't dad or oh, Gerald's yeah. fault. I mean,
1: I'm not on I don't have a leg to stand on as the guy who swooped in and thought it was funny to go and then her dad jerked up on her back and <laughs> right. I did actually think it was callous in the sense that I'm like The real me sitting there not trying to be a bad boy and get laughs on a podcast (laughs) was like, oh boy, they don't need this. Are they going to show it? Wow. They're they're going to do this full scene while we sit here and watch this little child actor act like she's getting jerked off on her back. Okay. That seemed totally needless. Then it cuts back to another flashback where he's like, and we don't tell anyone. And I'm like, I know I got that. You don't have to go back again. You don't have to double dip in the, yeah, in the flashback.
0: And that might, (laughs) I might be lobbing uh, unnecessarily, you know, unnecessary shade at Flanagan for this particular movie because I think that there aren't that many elements like it's because also the uh, the back and forth like the Dave Eggers stuff that I'm saying where she's talking to herself through her own apparitions and versions of other people uh, she is out loud saying her insecurities so we don't really need a scene of where that insecurity truly came from once we've done all the assembling so that's just one thing that I you know like I think that it's good to be clear and that's clearly why he's doing this stuff so that if you looked away and look back, you still know what's happening, but it's like you could have taken that 15 minutes and developed so much more because you're like, cause, but the story probably just doesn't have it. Like the book doesn't just have, you know, new scenes for him to cover. So maybe I'm wrong about that. I haven't read the book, but it does just mm-hmm. feel like we don't pe- feel the epiphany in the way that epiphany is usually felt. She just kind of crosses the threshold of I'll do this insanely painful thing and mm-hmm. I'll get free. She just right. has to work herself up. to Kaiser it. So suze, If you have the will. Yeah. Uh
1: Well, but also I just, so gripes about the memories and then I'll back off that point is like, yeah, The way they unfold, like you said, because she's sort of unspooling the story to us, the audience, I think Flanagan needed to be more wary of, okay, but it can't feel like that. I got to obfuscate that that's what's happening. Because you end up in sequences where, like we said, she double dips between flashbacks, and the flashbacks are chronological. So, like, she has a flashback about her dad, and then she talks to herself, and and herself is like, but remember what happened after that? And it goes to another flashback that's, like, an hour later, That's not even how memories work. Like you don't remember a little story in chronological order and in real time experience the assault and like focus on it and go, okay, it took about that long. And then I went to my bedroom and we had this scene like it just starts to get. And like the fact that I understand panic, I understand I've I haven't. Well, I got lost in the woods when I was young and I did worry about dying, which reminds me of another Stephen King story, The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon, another one where she interacts with her interior self and it's much tighter. So my issue with this is uh, once they're going round and around, it just feels like theater scenes or acting exercises in the act too, almost as if they're just doing it to do scenes, a lot of the dialogue is literally repetitious, like reads on the same line over and over. And you can do all these arguments about how that's how internal monologue works. But my overarching argument is that this all starts like the scene after the dog comes in and like her head, she literally goes like, it's almost afternoon. So you're telling me, she got handcuffed, realized she's in a really fucked situation. Within six hours, she is completely psychotically dissociated to the point that a man comes into her bedroom and she can't tell if it's reality or delusion. It's only been
0: half a day. <laughs> yeah. Like the mind does not splinter like that. That could have you know, been I, navigated. I a, no, <laughs> it's odd that. to they, me. They, they could have they made the water a bigger deal and then like, you know, then just it's give like, her okay, another day, one more day in there. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to get but, exhausted. You know, I think they wanted to get to the, you know, the, the, the meat and potatoes, yeah, you know, the totally. bread and butter of the, of which the is the survival
1: show. stuff. And all the survival stuff hits hard for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thrilling.
1: Felt like seeing I, Jurassic Park at certain points.
0: <laughs> but, like, as we said, we're lobbing some stuff at, at mm-hmm. this uh, amazing setup. And in general, I just think that the, um, The device of having you talk to yourself and tell yourself uh, openly your own insecurities and kind of have with it the kind of ellipses of like, oh, and she thinks this about herself, not like I'm being told by this person. No, she knows that she's hallucinating. It's a great. I, th- I think that's a right. great device. And sometimes uh,
1: Gerald represents Gerald as he was, some or even as she sees him. Sometimes Gerald represents like tough love, Gerald, who she actually appreciated. You know, like sometimes he's on her side, sometimes he's not. So mm-hmm. both of the fa- visions of her and Gerald are even multifaceted or multiple versions yeah, of
0: and themselves. It's very good. Which um, is also
1: really underscores the theme of. We are all multiple versions of ourselves, right? And she's going to finally choose to be the brave one that's a badass that can handle all the toxicity in her life and emerge victorious. And Mm -hmm. it took this to make her do that. So really, thank you, men, right? Like, if he hadn't put her in this situation, uh, I I walked myself into a corner. Speaking of men, though, I got to say similar similar themes for my money. I just watched it way more effective than men. And I like Garland more than Flanagan. (laughs) Normally, yeah, yeah. I don't That's know if you interesting. agree.
0: Well, I, I thought Men don't. had,
1: of course, a shocking conclusion, but I thought the first two acts were just like a, yeah, whatever.
0: I liked Men, okay, but anyway. Right. Um, but we are talking about something about like what the like now we're getting in more of the themes of the movie themes, right. and uh and there's something out. I have a huge problem with this movie, but before I get into that, I did want, I want to talk kind of a preface of like, my issue with it deals with the kind of black, white morality that, um, that this kind of sets up, but I want to do say that another thing that Flanagan really gets, uh, about King, about suspense, about storytelling is that this movie doesn't have sympathy for characters like Gerald or the father, But you see their guilt. You feel the longing for forgiveness, the self hate. And he's a very good actor because not
1: actors vary in skill. I mean, Uh right. All humans do at any task. And I just got to say across all Flanagan projects, you see across the board, pretty strong or stellar acting. I have to believe some of that is how he works with the directors, the environment, Mm -hmm. he sets them up for success. Like, this production's so clean; it has painterly light. And uh, to Abe's point, in the very opening images, you can tell that even though they're married, she's uncomfortable with this sexual energy, and that he's putting off interestingly weird sexual energy. And that's not with lines; it's sheerly through the acting. From, that, and, like they yeah, all blocking. deserve credit for that, Flanagan included, for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that there's something to be said about how monsters typically in this genre. Even psychological terror, which, you know, as we've got kind of uh, as horror has developed in, in modern days, we're getting more of monsters are still fairly monolithic, simple agents of corruption. And this is a particularly hard one to navigate because I think that Flanagan, I think – can and I think did come under fire for sympathizing with abusers in the story. And he's done it several times in his career, this m- specific maneuver where it's mostly about adding pain to their life. Like that's the cool thing. I think and about it's like, it. Why didn't you he's stand not sympathizing. up? You needed to
1: toughen up. You needed to yeah. fight back. And it's like, all right, well they could have support from outside.
0: They okay. could, <laughs> but like that, but the whole point I think of Flanagan when he tells the tale is that it's, I'm going to give everyone pain pain for everybody (laughs) you know like so even the abusers it's not i don't Mm. see it as a sympathetic note i see it more as a um as a just a way to really uh create despair all around everything now i do think that the story and i won't and i'm going back to probably the king version because it's just in the dna i have a question for you and this kind of gets into my criticism So you probably see where I'm coming from or where I'm going here. But how do you feel about the line? Dad's or it was it's like paraphrase like my father's shackles were silence. Gerald's Mm -hmm. were comfort. Right. The most poetic
1: thing a character says and clearly the resonant line or whatever, probably in the story. But one Mm -hmm. nice thing about this pod is we don't feel the need to read the original story per se. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's pretty hokey and on the nose. And I also think, although I'm pretty sensitive and was not troubled, like I didn't come away from this movie thinking that's problematic or not well-intentioned, shame Uh. on thee, but as you draw attention to it, I'm like, yeah, that's reductive and dismissive of the experience. And it's also taking it from the male perspective. And I think that speaks to the ultimate problem with stories like this that we're kind of growing out of, but there's a pushback, blah, 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 right? Which is that ultimately- and I know it's a spectrum and all cases have to be considered. But in a pretty right. clear case like this, where it's like, this is a story of female empowerment, as evidenced by the fact that she uses menstruation pads to survive her trauma. Like, if that's right. not a symbol, I don't know, right? So King is going, girl power, triumphants. Did you see the descent? Yeah, she was badass. Ripley, fuck yeah, girls. And it's like, mm-hmm. then let a woman write and direct the movie. So, and ultimately, that's what people said about men as well, right? All right, Alex. Garland. You could write any other story. Let a woman write this story. And I think that's fair in these cases. And the line you're talking about comes off forced and kind of tone deaf because there weren't enough women on the project,
0: probably. Yeah, I think that's all valid criticisms for sure. The thing that really bothers me is that the whole movie is set up on this concept that what she has done now because of her the psychological trauma Of her sexual abuse because, Mm -hmm. you know, they draw direct lines uh, to like, that's the reason you married an older man who's a lawyer, who's overbearing, who wants to take power from you. Mm -hmm. Um, She's just a receptacle
1: for trauma, which shapes her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it shapes her. And that's true. This happens. And I I think it's an important kind of concept to talk about. Uh, But in terms of literature about it, there's. The way she internalizes and deals with everything, she she is very aware of. At one point, she says, just throw it into the well. And she criticizes herself for doing this. Just make it disappear. Bottle it up, get rid of it, and that's why you never talk about anything to anyone. I'm not going to tell my husband about my sexual abuse and the sexual abuse in my past because I'm that's that's for me that goes into the world, and now
1: I won't tell anyone else about how my husband is getting weirder and weirder as we exactly.
0: And so, when she's saying dad's shackles were silence, Gerald's were comfort, I don't feel the change that she is. Gone through Also the
1: second beat Is not even justified We've not seen That she feels That comfort equals security Or that she feels uh, That money Insulates you From harm Like
0: That hasn't That work wasn't even done Right And in the end Another notable point And maybe I'm just Missing the point And someone Mm -hmm. in the comments Pointed out But When she's in the Kind of epilogue She discusses about How she Like writing her diary To her 12 year old Or a letter To her 12 year old self um, she mentions how she faked amnesia rather than and ta- uh, to avoid awkward, not questions.
1: speaking her truth, right? Literally stifling it. And I'm just yeah. like,
0: what has she learned in this movie is my real big question.
1: It's she mainly yeah, anything about that she herself? has a high endurance check, you know, like she, just that she yeah. can take a lot of pain and survive things.
0: And she's very, she's self-reflective in a way she's more no, confident she hasn't than been. she was. right. Uh, there are she's, definite She victories. has had a makeover. She's had a glow up. Right. She, <laughs> she, she is now, she had this moment to reflect on her more. past and she's like, I used to think that that thing didn't exist. That moment of trauma. Right. I now know it exists just like the moonlight, man. Now all this is metaphor for her journey through navigating that trauma. It's weird to me that this movie says one of the parts of the solution is kind of bottle it up and throw it down the well.
1: And it's well, it's um, kind of like Whiplash. Right, is a really upset me fundamentally right, when I came away from that true. movie going. I know it's intentionally vague, but is this motherfucker saying it's good to be so mean to people that they improve? Fuck that. That's so cruel. No, you know, yeah. and, and it's like it. Well, he's putting it on the table. He wants you to think about it. And that I think it's a similar thing here. Uh, I I yeah, totally I think see. Flash is a great
0: example. She can yeah. be kind of like a just a flawed hero, and that's just how but we resolve the film. I also
1: would connect the dots, or the dots that they intended. I think by saying where they're trying to reach for that apple is, she starts an organization where she helps other girls. Right. So. Before she thought of herself as a helpless girl in need of support from the outside, now not only can she survive herself, she has the capacity to provide support from the outside to people currently True. trapped in the yeah, situation. It's not
0: like they missed the they, missed the, they like, did the zone paint by, by the numbers all. bullshit.
1: But, but that's my point is I gotta say, as someone who well when Tom came on, we had a little softer. You were a little more on board with Sunshine's third act. But I would say this has the same problem. I saw someone on our Patreon.com slash small uh, say like that. It's like until the ending, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't remember what the ending was, but watching it, I did write in my notes. Ah, oh, fuck you. You ruined it. Because not just how on the nose it is for her to literally go to the guy's trial and go, I've triumphed over you. And then yeah. walk down the middle of <laughs> the, the street. Eclipse. She walks down the middle of a city street. Like yeah. she's going to get hit by a car. And it's so weird. Like a commercial almost like a credit card commercial. Like, yeah, we're all happy now. And then, but I would say even further back, and this is a problem with the DNA of the story to me, the story works much much better, much, much better if Moonline man is not real. it's stupid that it's he's real. M- it's a hat on a hat. True. it's dumb as hell,
0: right, but it's important but it's I see why the DNA of the story is that because it's important that she recognizes what's real because she's had And defeat a, with that. a
1: real human man.
0: Right. And yeah and so you or, need you know, um, a physical manifestation of that and she can no longer get that from Gerald. But you're absolutely right. It is weird. like I expected <laughs> like, the matrix movie I'm a hideous to come on clown man just,
1: who fucks bones or whatever. <laughs> yeah. She just
0: flies to the sun, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a it wild ending for sure. Um but yeah, I I just I think that the, it's a comp, it's complex. No mm-hmm. one size fits all. I feel like I know what the storytellers are doing on both in both regards. And repetitious is material. not the end of
1: the world cuz listen to our convo like I've say I would say this has been a great medium for conversation. We pulled a bunch of cool shit out of it. Uh so that stuff is there. Mhm that's yeah that's uh, yeah it's Sorry, it's I there i mean <laughs> and
0: once again we started this conversation with flying again is op at like fucking doing suspense directing like he's like, one meat of the potatoes
1: directing yeah he's a good director uh yeah. i also a case in point i wanted to mention my favorite postcard of all which is basically i think the key recurring motif, of course, because it's the opening shot. So when I saw that opening shot that's just an overhead shot of the bed with packing, Mm. all I really got out of it was like, oh, handcuffs, what does that mean, right? And you know what it means if you know the premise, so you just get a little thrill of foreshadowing. But this time watching with a critical eye, I actually noticed that every time he snaps to that bed, It represents Mm -hmm. prison. What does an overhead shot of a bed look like? Just a box of a different color than the rest of the screen. So when her dad tells her we have to keep a secret and she agrees, she falls back onto her childhood bed and she's in a box now. When he handcuffs her to the thing and she realizes he's dead on the floor, it cuts to an overhead shot because she's trapped in the bed now. If If you track it, that shot always means the same thing, which means it's intentional, which means it's a postcard, which means I, a film nerd, am like, Hey, bravo. That was pretty clever. You know, yeah, I and like it that. Get,
0: <laughs> it gets in on theme. Uh, totally. Not just the prison the stuff. Bed I mean, part of the bed is the trap.
1: Sexuality, right? You, something <sighs> that should feel positive has been turned into a threat in your life. How fucked up is I that? But think,
0: I think it's more than that. It's like with the top down shot, at like opening image, right? We see, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we don't know yet, but we actually see that the clothing, clothing is being set out, bags are being packed throughout Jesse's life, actually. And, um, I think it's also meant to invoke this feeling of a ritual, doing things in a certain way because it's expected. At one point, she reflects on, "I was cool with kind of your uh, your your kink because she was quote a dutiful wife." Like it's this like the prison truly is yes the marital uh, the the marital bed
1: bed. yeah
0: but it's also her agreement with the assumption that the men have power over her her uh, her compliance to Mm. that kind of reality and her lack of refuting it at all costs in order to fight for ourselves is what has made her unhappy right. And that's the true terror is that she did this kind of to herself.
1: Well, it's what's made her scared because that's what makes it a horror movie, right? It's what's made her fear life. And that is cool. It's cool that it's trauma-based, which Flanagan does try to navigate in a lot of these. It's always a metaphor for trauma as, as I think, you know, Jordan Peele also does in, in his own way, but this is very specifically like character driven specific past, like a play would be horrible secrets, trauma, right? So instead of being scared of a monster, there is a monster. But for the brainiacs in the crowd, she's also scared of the entire world, which is the precept of all horror is that the environment is against you. She's scared Mm -hmm. because of the very patriarchy and the threat it represents. And you're like, yeah, that's cool that it's both. That's cool. That's what makes it a compelling story. (laughs) Because
0: Just just to kind of alter what I said, because I wanted to make sure that the blame is in the abusers for sure. (laughs) What I mean to say is that she made the prison herself is that like- She's refused the call time and time again. That's what we do with her. She,
1: this Dave's asking for me.
0: (laughs) That's what we do with storytelling in the act one. Yeah. Uh, And that's why I feel like it feels unresolved because there's no refutation of the call. There's no uh, epiphany that she has really that makes me go. Wow, she is she's not allowing that like that dangerous f- form of thinking that allowed her to get here. She's not dispelling that at all. Um, but her so call to destiny
1: is so concrete and specific. Like I would argue that in a story like this or 127 hours, the second the character realizes they're trapped and no one's coming to help, they don't need to be like, "Hmm, I don't want to deal with that." Okay, I will. Mm. It's like, well, you gotta, you gotta deal yeah. with this. Now. I mean,
0: it's, sometimes it's just like it's zero yeah. to sixty, real fast. Sometimes Act Three, Act Three, or like the conclusion is crossing a threshold, less than making a choice. I mean, sometimes that's just how stories work. If this one's just crossing the threshold, I have to work myself up to do this insanely painful thing. And she does. And she gets free. And like the Northman,
1: to speak of recent, right, is just like, I want to kill that guy. I get angrier and angrier. I'm berserk now. He's here. I killed him. <laughs> Climax yeah. just ramps and up. And we're done. Yeah. And we're done.
0: Um, that's all I got in terms of theme. One yeah. thing I wanted to notice about just like craftsmanship also that we haven't mentioned, which is something I do respect a lot about Flanagan. It's not true in all of his work, but... I like that he likes to work with virtually no soundtrack. And this one is probably the biggest, like there's no That was the last thing I wanted to
1: mention. Yeah, Yeah. nothing. Only diegetic
0: radio music as they drive there or whatever. That speak, and you still feel like, oh, every time, like when it it hits, it hits. Yeah, think
1: of the last time there was a tense moment in a modern horror movie that didn't go. You know, like the balls to have no sound. In horror, sound is the easiest crutch to reach for, and we do it constantly. Uh, So that's impressive. Doubly, yeah, for sure.
0: It's very impressive, and it just really speaks to the suspense building of just the pure images and soundscape that he's using. So kudos, again, to the filmmakers. Um,
1: Kudos all around. Kudos all around. Uh, (laughs) I really didn't give any of my thoughts short shrift. It's a simple story, Um, so I'm all right with a short, sweet episode. Let's let's head over
0: to our final installment that we call the stand.
1: Time to your stand welcome to the stand aka abe's favorite thing is the michael jackson video ghosts it's his favorite you know thing you're gonna let me down it's just a simple bit thing.
0: it was just a simple bit a simple I'm and doing. you just
1: don't let things go uh, i think it's just something I mean, you should I, work on i think this is the very next episode you gotta at least give me one no, we, we talked about Cujo. Sure. Okay. Oh yeah. It was Cujo. It was Cujo. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am ready to admit failure on this segment and just mm-hmm. say, if you want to start at like number 12 going up or whatever, I thought the bit of the stand getting longer and longer would tickle me. It's I, it's boring. I'm over it. I think what do we you can. Think?
0: Here's, <laughs> here's what I think. And. Dear reader, dear uh, listener, you're hearing the show happen real time. That's right. Uh, talk about we are pearly. developing this right now. I think we should uh, we should probably talk about it a little bit beforehand to see like exactly where, so it's not like as yeah, much yeah. of a surprise. Right. But I do agree with you. I think we need to shorten this because the bit is not funny to me. Could you anymore. safely
1: start at fifteen and go up? Oh, definitely. So could I? And then from now on, we'll talk about it in a little. And then every down.
0: so often, I think every few episodes. We'll bring, we'll bring back the whole list just, you know, for the people Remind who love that. people of the But, right. you know, I think we're going to walk away from that just because it is a slog at a certain point where it's like, unless you're sitting there with a spreadsheet, we're just trying to get right, through information. Right, I'd right. rather dissect why these films are good or mediocre.
1: And or at some point we got to switch back to Anderson's or I guess we don't, we can do whatever we want, but I'm just going to point out this is episode 26 of this. So we've completed a King Alphabet.
0: Wow. Wow. Congratulations, Michael. Congrats to you, sir. Thank uh, you. My
1: number 15 is
0: running man. My number 15 is Christine. Get to the future.
1: Uh, my number 14 is Christine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the quote. I was doing <laughs> a quote Christine, like you were doing yeah. the quote. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my number 14 is desperation.
1: Ooh, mine's way low. Mine's not off the charts down there. Uh 13 apt pupil. 13 creep show. I like creep show. Twelve Dark Tower, which will fall once the good Dark Tower comes along. Twelve is the Green Mile for me. Yep, that's my twenty-three. I know you (laughs) a saucy episode. If you're, if it's worth a listen, it's Uh, number eleven. Pet Cemetery, twenty-nineteens
0: with Lithgow. This is where I put apt pupil because of the same reasons. We're well, still you, in the the middle of the road. Nazis. We started at fifteen, so we're like hey. kind of like we think these are uh, mediocre. Right where Nazis belong, the middle of the road. <laughs> uh, my number ten is Cujo, the aforementioned pupper. Uh, my number 10 is, uh, 1408 solid film, yeah. but could have always had the butt on
1: that number nine creep show. Cause I love comic books and I think I rose it a couple notches cause it really feels like a comic book, which is pretty uh, neat for the time.
0: Number nine is one of the more contentious aspects of Michael's opinion of my mm-hmm. list, which is the running man. Cause he thinks it's I ass. Just, it's
1: corny in a way that I don't. It doesn't tickle me. It's just corny. I think it's classic. (laughs) Uh, I think number eight is a classic 1408 because it goes hard and because Cusack is just likable eternally to me and to watch Mm. him just get his ass fucking handed to him. (laughs) Also, that moment where he looks across and there's just one window with a silhouette mirroring him is genuinely creepy. I think about it a lot.
0: Yeah, I just don't like the flashback stuff. I think it's boring. (laughs) Just like Uh, this.
1: It's like we didn't need to know that much about his personal trauma. Kind of true. Kind of true. In a book, sure. But
0: That was your number eight? Eight, 1408, yeah. My number eight is Cujo. I placed it slightly higher than you.
1: My number seven is Carrie
0: on My Wayward Son. Number seven is where I actually put Gerald's game. Ah, yeah, interesting. Slightly above Cujo. I will see you,
1: see that placement and raise you one, number six, Gerald's Game. Yeah, quite high I, on the list. Almost quite high the top five. Quite high because of the
0: execution. All the stuff that we said, it for all of its flaws. For all of its flaws, it's a little better than carry, in my it's opinion. It's a little better than Cujo. And this is... Where I go number six and I say Carrie. Uh-huh. So we're like kind of simpatico. No, so we just have I, slightly different tastes.
1: I will say that if I uh, adjusted for inflation, which I don't, meaning carry was made so long ago and it's so close and there are things like technological improvements over time and working condition improvements, Carrie right. would probably beat Gerald's game if adjusted for inflation, quality inflation. I just think the Palma kicked ass. He did. That's he all. did. But I think Gerald's game's quite good. Uh, in the craftsmanship, changed. I don't like parts of the story, as we discussed. See, pr- see episode Copy in its that. entirety. Number five, the mist. Number five, the mist. I mean, I can be done. Misery, stand by me. Doctor Sleep, The Shining. <laughs> Doctor Sleeps,
0: Misery, stand by me. The Shining. Yeah. So love it. Love the top four. Love it. I love that we we as you as you I feel heard like we earlier, grew today. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's good to know that we ourselves. both kind. we're being honest with ourselves, but we're also, uh, like we still kind of have the same instincts about all this stuff. Right. That makes me, that tickles me to know. And it always terrifies me because we always say like same brain and whatnot when it's just like, where do you put that one? Oh, I right. like, Fundamentally, this one is a this one sucks. Ass. Pretty much
1: only green miles, the outlier, and it's for a specific reason. But it's that for a specific like, reason. I agree
0: with you, I but totally it bothered it. me less.
1: Blah blah blah. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's just good to know that through all these years, we still kind of have the same s- stupid brain about all this still stuff. And crazy you do after too. All these beers, or if you don't, dear reader, uh, tell us about it in the comments and flame mm-hmm. us and say misery as number three. Oh or even God. better,
1: yeah, I want to shoot your son in the head, but in vain. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe give us a five-star review on, iTunes, on your uh, podcast app and complain about us there. That'd be cool, too. I,
0: absolutely. Or
1: head to patreon.com slash smallbeans and throw us a couple bucks.
0: Love it when you do that. Keeps it, the light it. on. It's what, great.
1: What's coming out soon? Do you have anything to spill?
0: Well, this is coming out for the Patreons uh, Mm -hmm. on uh, September 8th of 2023. Uh, What we got in the pipeline for those Patreons is we have another episode of Director Peace Theater coming up on the following Monday. We have a frame rate coming up on Phantom of the Paradise. Also De Palma, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we have the triumphant return of a show that is once again a collaboration between Gamefly Unemployed and uh, Small Beans, which is you haven't seen in a while. It's been a few months. We're bringing back Inside Dads. Oh, that's right. More More power. power. And in future episodes, please keep listening. We'll tell you what movies to watch because we got another volley of four coming. And boy, howdy. They're going to be a doozy. All right. Very excited. Very excited. A lot of cool things happening. I'm degloving my hand and waving goodbye. Good shit. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.